We're doing a series on the word grace, stories of grace. And last week we defined the word grace as unmerited favor. Grace is to receive something good that you didn't deserve and you didn't earn. Last week we saw that even though we were sinful, that we were sinful, that we did not meet the holy and perfect standard of God because of grace. Instead of receiving the punishment for sin, physical and spiritual death, we receive life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What you deserve. And please don't, don't hear this in any other way. Don't try to soften it. Don't try to sugarcoat it. What you deserve because of your sin is death. That's what you deserve. And yet, what you get through Jesus Christ is life. Don't, don't hear it any other way. And we're going to continue um, these stories of grace. And if last week was grace for your sin, today... It's grace for your unbelief. And this is a little bit tricky. I'll, 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 I'll admit it right here and now. This is the trickiest one out of the three. One of the bis- biggest misconceptions about Christianity, um, and there's a lot, is that when you become a Christian, suddenly everything in your life turns out like today's weather. Right? It's meant to be raining out there today and I don't know if you pray but I pray and I said Lord I hate going to church in the rain because we have puddles you know when you have to go to the bathroom you have to walk through the rain I hate it kids get their clothes dirty and I woke up this morning and it was a bit 50 50 and I was driving in I started to see the sun come out and I thought Lord you love me I know you love me And sometimes we think that everything in our life, that's how it's meant to be when we become a Christian. And the other misconception that we have as Christians is that that only works when you're strong in your faith. When your faith is deep, unshaken. But the reality is we struggle in our faith. And the problem with the misconception that when we become a Christian, everything has to be fantastic, is when things are not fantastic. When we doubt, when we have issues with what we believe, suddenly we think two things. One, God is not good. And two, God is not near. So many times when we're struggling in our faith or what we believe, we get told, and I'm sure someone's told you this before, hey, you just need to pray more. Hey, you just need to come to church more. Hey, you just need to read your Bible more. You just need to believe more. You know, let go and let God. And what I want to do today is I want to take these misconceptions and I want to throw them out the window. And I believe today, God is going to release some anxiety for some of us today. 
Because some of you really need to hear this. The reality of Christian faith is that it is a journey of ups and downs. When I was 12 years old, I became a Christian. I gave my life to the Lord and I said, God, I want to live for you at 12. And since that day, I would love to tell you, since that day, I have not had a single worry in my life that everything that I planned worked out, that my bank balance is nice and full and everything is awesome. But that would be a complete lie. That would be an absolute lie. I know this is going to sound really bad, right? Because I'm the pastor of the church, right? But there are days where I may not have questioned the existence of God. Some of you may, and that's okay. But I definitely questioned the presence of God. I definitely questioned the goodness of God. I definitely questioned the plan of God. And if you're honest, you've probably asked the question yourself many a time. God, what's going on? God, where are you? God, this is not the plan. God, why aren't you helping me? God, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and I'm getting nothing. See, the problem is when we think like this or when we feel like this, instead of wanting to run towards God, we feel guilty and we feel shameful that we even doubt God, that we even doubt His plans. And we're embarrassed to think, man, is my faith, like, is this it? Like something little bad happens in my life and suddenly I'm like, Where's God? Right? And we think that we are disappointing God. We think that we have let Him down. And we think that because of that, God is distant. But can I tell you, friends, that is wrong. And that is a lie that someone Somewhere has told you. The great news in the Bible is that there are so many stories of people just like that. People who are God's people that are meant to be trusting God and yet they struggle to trust. They have stories of doubt, stories of impatience. And yet there is still grace. Even in, and okay, listen to this, right? Even in our unbelief, even in our doubts, there is still grace, unmerited favor. And I want to show you this today through a story in the Old Testament from Genesis 12 about a man named Abram, or Abraham, and that's what his name changed to, and his wife, Sarah. Okay, so I'm going to take you through this story. Okay, now remember, listen, it's a story, it's a real story. Okay, and I'm going to show you how this story progresses. Uh, We're going to start Genesis 12, chapter 
12, verses 1 to 3, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the great promise that God gave this man called Abram. The Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament started all from this promise through Abram. Out of all the people in the world, out of all the nations in the world, God chooses this one man, Abram, to start his lineage of people. Out of Abram would come the Israelites, God's people. And God promises Abram, hey, out of you, it will become, you will become a great nation. But there was a problem. Abram was married to Sarah, or Sari at the time, but they had no kids. How can one be a great nation if there are no descendants? And this is the thought process that Abram is having. So God promised that he's going to you know, make me into a great nation. He's going to make my name great. He's going to use me as a blessing. But, but how? I don't have any kids. I have no descendants. And so we see that as the chapters go on, Abram is having these conversations with God. So we'll jump to uh, Genesis 15, verse 2 to 3. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza from Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. And God responds to him in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram's like, God, I've got no kids. How are you going to do this? Are you sure this is what you want to do? And God says, look into the sky. See how many stars there are? That's how many children you're going to have. That's the nation. And he assures him. He assures him that the plans had not changed, even though the situation was confusing. But what we find is it's not just that Abram had doubts. His wife did too. Chapter 16, verse 1 to 4. Now, sorry, Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abram agreed to what Sari said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sari, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and Hagar conceived. So God makes these great promises to Abram. And Abram's like, well, it's not happening, God. And Sari or Sarah, his wife's like, it's not happening. So, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the obstacle. Well, I've got to make something happen. And so she takes matters into her own hands and goes, here's my slave, Hagar. Go. Maybe it doesn't matter who the mum is, just 
have kids. Maybe that's how the great nation's meant to happen. And that's what Abram does, and he agrees, and that's what happens. But God says, no, that's not the plan. That's not the plan. That's not, that's not my way. That's your way. That's you trying to force the hand. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen my way. Now, you would think that God is reassuring them and confirming with them, hey, don't worry, the plan is still there. But we, we continue on, and over the next few chapters, the dialogue between Abram, God, and Sarah, they, they, it just keeps going back and forth. They, they wake up, and they're like, yeah, I think God's really going to do this. And then they wake up the next day and go, God, where are you? What's happening? I still don't have kids. My wife is still not pregnant. What's going on? And then we get to this interesting chapter in uh, Genesis 18 where Abram and Sarah, they have some visitors come to their house. And this is what the, one of the visitors says in 18 verse 10 to 15. Then one of the visitors said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the visitor said, yes, you did. And I just found that so funny. Sarah laughed at the idea, like she's beyond age of having kids. So the idea of still, the idea of her having a child to fulfill God's promises, it made her laugh. It's like as if this is going to happen. And then she gets caught. Awkward. But then finally in chapter 21, we see nine chapters, right? We see God's promise happen. And she has a baby, 21 verse 1 to 6. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Genesis 12, the original promise. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Along the way, he confirms, look at the stars in the sky. That's how great your family is going to become. What's interesting is Genesis 12, I had to look this up. In Genesis 12, Abraham was 70 years old. Genesis 21, when Abraham becomes a father to Isaac, we are told that Abraham was 100 years old. That's a 30-year period, 
a 30-year period where there would have been so much questioning, so much doubt, so much frustration, so much waiting. And yet after 30 years, God's promise of a nation begins through the birth of Isaac. Now here's the question. Did God give uh, did God give Abraham and Sarah what they deserve in terms of their faith? Did God fulfill his promise based on the faith of Abraham and his wife Sarah? Was it because Abraham and Sarah believed in their heart what God had promised them that God fulfilled it? You know, I think the answer is I think the answer is no. Because I think at least every second day, they would have questioned God. They would have doubted God. They would have doubted his faithfulness and the promise that God gave to them. And still, God fulfilled his promise. Now, there's an important verse in this story in Genesis 18, 14, where when the visitor came from God and he asked Abram, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I wonder how we would understand this question. Is there anything too hard for God? Theoretically, the answer is no. I think theoretically, if, if, if I was to ask you, is there anything too hard for God, you would say no. There is nothing that is too hard for God. God's God's plans are not determined by your faithfulness. God's heart for you is not made up of how good you are to God. Imagine that. Imagine God was transactional. right? Imagine God was like us. We're like this, right? You know, I really like you when you do good to me. But if you don't do good to me, chop you off. We're transactional. We're what we call conditional. When the situation changes, we change. But is God like that? And the answer is no. Even, even when you don't believe. Even when you doubt what God has said to you. This sounds pretty crazy. But even when you don't think God is there, he's there. And it's not up to you what God chooses to do or not do. He gives to us what he wants to give to us. Now, do we deserve it? No, we don't. Why? We don't even believe in God sometimes. We question God sometimes. We doubt God's goodness sometimes. And if God was like us, and if he was circumstantial or situational, then when we turn away from God, God will say, well, you know what? You're going to turn away from me? Fine. I'll turn away from you. You don't get my goodness. And yet... 
even when we turn away from God, his goodness is still available to us. What's that called? Grace. Unmerited favor. So let me state this nice and clear. God's favor upon our lives is not determined by the level of your faith, the level of how much you believe or not believe, because if it were, we would get nothing. Isn't that the reality? If it was based on us, we would get nothing. And yet, even in our doubts, even in moments of unbelief, God is not swayed but continues to love us and guide us. And he gave us his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us once and for all. Unmerited favor. It's grace. Friends, our faith journey is a roller coaster. Anyone that has been a Christian for a while, they will tell you there are high highs, but there are low lows as well. There are days where we feel God is so near to us, where we can sense the presence of God through the clouds in the sky, the, the butterflies that flutter in the fields, and the smell of fresh flowers in our yard. And we go, God, you are so good. You are so amazing. But if we're honest, there are days, maybe months, maybe even years, where the only thing coming from the clouds is thunder and lightning on a day you forgot your umbrella. You don't get butterflies. You get moths that smudge you can't smell the flowers in the yard because you got COVID. <laughs> you don't smell anything. But there's still grace. Whether you deserve it or not, when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, you think that he didn't know you think that God didn't know the journey that you're going to go through? This is God. You think God didn't know that there are days where you're going to wake up and you're going to question the existence of God? You think God didn't know that there are days where you're going to wake up and you're going to feel so distant to, to, distant to God? You're like, I don't, I don't even know where God is. You think God didn't know that? You think God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on the cross so that only the believing people would be saved? Only the holy people would be saved? Only the good people that would be saved? No way. Even when you are faithless, angry, distant, emo, you have to ask yourself, is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? Even your unbelief, even your doubts, even your wacky thoughts about the world. Is that too much for God to still love you? Is that too hard for Him? Sometimes we think so. 
Sometimes we think, man, because of my sin, how could God love me? Man, because of my doubts, how could God love me? And next week, because of our brokenness, how could God love me? And God is telling you, friends, I am God. I am bigger than you. I am not changed or phased by your sin and by your disbelief, your unbelief and your doubt. And I'm not afraid of your brokenness. That doesn't scare me away from you. I love you so much that even, even in your unbelief and doubt, I'm not walking away. So friends, listen to the heart of God today. He is here with you and he is here for you. Whether you believe that or not, whether you are doubting that or not, whether you feel that in your heart or not, this is the truth. That we get God's favor even though we are sinful, even though our faith is questionable and paper thin, even when we struggle to believe in the goodness of God. Friends, there is grace. God is not ashamed of you. God is not embarrassed of you. But he wants you to come to him, even in those moments. He wants you to continue this journey of faith with him, whether you're up, whether you're down, whether you're close, or whether you're far. God is willing to do this journey with you. There's grace. So friend, if you are in that space at the moment where maybe you're doubting God, you're questioning God, you're wondering what is it that I really believe about God, can I tell you, don't give up the journey because God has not. God is with you. Unmerited Favor, grace, that's for you. Let's pray.